everyone. It's Sarah. I'm so glad you've enjoyed listening to the show. We're going to be taking a break for a couple of weeks, but we'll be back with more topics we love to nerd out on. Welcome to Behind the Data, the podcast that takes you inside the world of market research and breaks down the topics we love to nerd out on. Today, I'm joined by Mike Joswick, who you may remember from our very first episode, and Lee Linthicum, a research director here at Euromonitor. On this show, we've been exploring the world of market research, mostly from a strategic point of view. So today, we're going to talk about the other side of the fence, tactical research, what does that mean? When do you want to take that approach? And, and what are some of the key differences between strategic and tactical research? These guys are going to break it down for us. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, likewise. Very happy to be here. So first things first, let's define what we mean by strategic research and tactical research. Sure. It's a question that we get from our clients uh, with some regularity and even the people that we work with. So first things first, uh, strategic research is research that's big picture in nature. It's usually a little more long-term, uh, so we'd be thinking about forecasting a way out in the future. Uh, terms like blue sky uh, are used uh, pretty regularly. Uh, blue ocean's a common phrase right now uh, out there. And basically, it's clients thinking about what's next, how can we look for opportunities to grow our business or our service in a new way or in a new market or in a new channel. Tactical is about a client wanting to win now. Okay, so it is about uh, optimizing what they currently have, uh, potentially looking for uh, better acquisitions or better positioning their products, um, but essentially looking at uh, short-term uh, wins uh, for business. So when does it make sense to use each one of these strategies, and how would businesses use these kinds of insights? Sure. So... Uh, I think maybe the best way to orchestrate or explain this is to sort of tell it in the story of a manufacturer of some sort. Please do. So if I am manufacturing yogurt, then in general, um, I might be thinking, okay, yogurt is starting to, uh, to slow down a little bit, and I need to think about what's next for the future of my business. I need to think about the ingredients that I have available to me, the operations that I have available. Uh, how can we think big? And so one of the questions that a strat planner uh, for a yogurt manufacturer might think about is, um, what will breakfast occasions look like in 2030 or something of that nature? And so they will use uh, consumer insight. They will use B2B uh, survey. They will explore uh, wider macroeconomic trends to understand how demographics are going to shift and the occasions that might uh, be ripe for their ingredients in their current portfolio to succeed in future. Would that also include when people are eating or how, like on the go versus sitting at home? Totally. Does that fall under that? Yeah, I, I believe so. I think you, you see that these things naturally change over time. Obviously, you've seen, uh, you know, I grabbed a, a, a granola bar on the way to work uh, today. I'm not sure I would have done that uh, 10 years ago necessarily or whatever. I feel like a convenience trend uh, has uh, taken a macro idea and uh, and made it a reality in my breakfast occasion for today. 
Well, yeah. And just to connect some dots for our frequent listeners out there, Michael Schaefer spoke to us about the future of the meal and how having ready and prepared foods is such a growing need because people are spending less time at home cooking in particular and how sit-down meals are kind of shifting. There might be one sit-down meal a day, but particularly something like breakfast is something that's sort of on the go or being redefined or might be more of a snack. Yeah, and the goal for uh, you know a, a big strategy planner for an FMCG firm or a big service company is not to figure out that that megatrend exists. Everybody knows the the world is getting faster, but it's how is that going to manifest itself in my market today, uh, and how might it uh, look in the future? And that's where expertise matters. Uh, that's where understanding uh, where the trends are going five, ten, fifteen years out matters. You know, as we sort of shape this yogurt manufacturer and start to go down to a tactical space, right? So they might say, okay, now that I have an idea of breakfast, you know, we want to focus on uh, big breakfast occasions for a new demographic for us, which is sort of like children's kefir products or something like that, right? Where are the opportunities to do that? Now we need to start refining that a little further and say, okay, the biggest opportunities for uh, child demographics booming uh, and uh, kefir products growing or production being available, uh, that might be in India, Colombia, and the Czech Republic, right? That's where we see the biggest opportunity for demographic shifts and, and growth. Uh, so, all right, we go there and they go do that. Now their tactical friends uh, in the same organization need to understand how can they win, uh, right? Can they measure their progress on a more regular basis, a more consistent basis, and that can they set uh, their sales staff or their marketing staff up for success by giving them reasonable targets, uh, launching certain advertising campaigns, uh, seeing if they're successful or not, and essentially generating revenue based on that big idea from a few years ago. So it's sounding to me that it's not a matter of one versus the other, but it's using both and the lines are sort of blurring and kind of how do these strategies and tactics complement each other? Yeah, I think maybe five or six, maybe 10 years ago, even uh, you had more defined roles of a strat planner and a brand manager sort of working together on long and short term goals. Today, uh, the reality is that the pace has quickened across business and you really see uh, those two roles uh, being responsible for a sort of the middle, essentially. You're right. They are blending together. And so what does that mean? It means that I think the business community has onboarded uh, a technology uh, means of, of solving problems, a more agile way of investing and reassessing along the way. So where a five or 10 year strategy made more sense historically, and you might invest more heavily in getting that right and sticking to the plan, I see that most of our clients today are making a very intelligent uh, plan for the next 18 months and then course correcting along the way with new information. And so they need very strong strategic information to get to that 18 months, but they also need a, a steady flow of tactical uh, to course correct and not overinvest in the wrong areas. Um, the world's just moving that quickly, and, and so is everybody's timelines. Well, that makes sense. But my next question would be, how do we even get started? You know, what kinds of questions should we be asking ourselves, whether it's for 18 months or five years? Uh, and the first question we often ask clients is like, what keeps you up at night, 
Uh, you know, where are those disruptors? You know, the world of ordering things online and uh, expecting new products and services to be ready tomorrow. Uh, I would say the payment universe changing so drastically. Um, businesses can uh, boom or fail in the blink of an eye. It's uh, kind of crazy. It is, uh, but it's a lot more fun. And um, and at the same time, there's a lot more information out there. I think clients are drowning in information. We spoke about this a little bit last time. So uh, they have a lot more information. At, uh, many people have a lot more information at their fingertips. Um, but um, it's difficult to assess what's real and what's a short-term blip or what is a long-term disaster for me and my business or opportunity. Uh, and so the first question is generally um, what's, what's real and what's not and, and, and how can we uh, get ahead of uh, these big trends and how they're going to impact my business. Okay, so we've established what's keeping people up at night. We distill a bunch of data and figure out what's real and what's not. Then what? What else do we need to be asking ourselves? I think it's, uh, okay, we kind of know what the problems are. Can we have examples of that, those problems? Can we see how, it's, uh, how this idea of, uh, you know, of green has uh, appeared in uh, neighbor industries? And can we get a better sense for how our competitors reacted or did not react to those ideas? Can we have case studies? Can we have stories? Can we uh, make better uh, database decisions uh, moving forward? And can we isolate those opportunities that we are the best fit for uh, successfully executing on? So to me, it's, okay, what are the big ideas and how might they impact me is the first question. The second question is, okay, which opportunities are best for us to take advantage of or require the most immediate action? And then we start to move into the tactical space uh, in general. We're, we're obviously going in that direction, which is, okay, now that we've uh, understood the stadium we're playing in and we, we have, uh, you know, we, we've put the right team in place uh, on the field, now what should we do with that team? Okay. And really that's where you start moving into tactical ideas. So then how do we go about answering these questions? And Lee, I might pick on you a little bit. Then what happens? Yeah, it's a really good question. I think a lot of it echoes some of the, you know, some of the techniques and tools that Mike's already mentioned. Um, you know, we've got a toolkit, which, um, you know, individual tools within the toolkit and the overall toolbox or toolkit apply to these different points on this journey that Mike's outlined from strategic and the blue sky, blue ocean thinking down to the execution or through to the execution and then down to the um, the ongoing diagnostic and assessment, right? So as Mike said, discussion around like, what do people like to eat? You know, and, and some of your points also in sort of survey and focus group and what do people want at which time of day to go back to the breakfast example? And, what, and what's the mega trends, you know, driving a need for convenience or a need for health or something else. Um, behind that, you know, what's the demographic and uh, macro and microeconomic uh, conditions, right? You know, are the demographic indicators right in terms of, you know, men, women, kids, millennials, etc. you know, and also their spending power and where those people live. You know, all this macro and demographic data can help identify the opportunity, can also help us refine the execution in terms of who do we target, and can also help us sort of course correct on this ongoing journey by aligning what you do to the wider marketplace. 
but we can also get a bit more specific. We can, you know, we can look at um, the market measurements we do as a business when it comes to, you know, sizing different consumer goods markets from, you know, breakfast food to, to, to lipstick to beer and beyond. Um, and also forecasting and understanding, you know, what is driving future sales. And again, as a business, how do you respond to that? How do you tweak and refine your execution on an ongoing basis to keep winning, you know, and stay ahead of the competition? And then also from a more tactical point of view, um, you know, what, understanding what's out there, right? What is the product assortment for whatever I'm making? Or what are, you know, what's, what's the assortment in, in, in adjacent categories that might give me ideas or might be, you know, potential competitors that I need to be aware of? And, you know, how are those products being sold? What are their characteristics and attributes? Um, how much do they cost? Um, you know, and how, and how do the price of those products change? You know, those metrics, again, inform the execution, but they're also a powerful way to help manufacturers, you know, take stock and, 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 and diagnose and, and, and keep moving forward. And I would add there that, like, it, it really is a spectrum of tools. So, at, you know, at the strategic space, you're really talking about big government uh, surveys that are out there, uh, consumer surveys that exist, uh, B2B uh, you know, information exchanges. Uh, and then as you start to go into a more tactical space, uh, that's where you start to see uh, more refined segmentation consumer surveys. You start to see scan data pop up regularly. Uh, you start to see, uh, you know, more focus groups. I think that these are all tools that uh, the average market researcher is going to use on a, a daily basis to make a strategic or tactical decision. I mean, I'm hearing a lot of different things and options, which is very cool. I'm wondering, is there a best approach, or if we chose one over the other, would we be missing part of the picture? Well, I think it boils down to what problem you're trying to solve, and you know, as Mike said, you know, what keeps you up at night, you know, and then, you know, from the toolkit, selecting the right tool or combination of tools to help solve that problem. So it is very much, you know, aligned against, you know, the need of the user and deploying deploying the right tool. You know, I think one of our sweet spots, to put it bluntly, is the fact that we do have a pretty big toolkit and, and we can use those tools individually, but even more powerfully, we can weave them together, you know, and, 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 and get into really interesting questions using, you know, data science analytics to look at things like revealed preference, you know, and, and, and break down future drivers of growth uh, for, for specific uh, product categories like breakfast food or beer and so on. Um, so yeah, the tools are important, and you know you you got to pick the right tool for the job. But also, when you start putting tools together, they're bigger than the, some of their individual parts. And I think we have a lot of expertise to help um, businesses you know, pick the right tool, but also combine the tools appropriately. Yeah, I would maybe add one other thing, and it's um, it's advantage that we have doing market research across the globe uh, is that the market research landscape is uh, at different points in its sort of trajectory uh, in Latin America versus the U.S. versus Western Europe versus parts of Asia or Eastern Europe. Um, and so uh, what I'd say is I, I think that that holistic approach to combining different types of methodologies uh, seems to be uh, the way to get the best, uh, most sound answer over time in certain parts of the world, I'd say, hey, we just need a survey for that. That's the only way to do it. That's the only way, you know, it's easy to understand. Let's just do a consumer survey. We have to use the right tool to get the right answer. A, a consumer survey is a terrible way to get a market size, for example. Um, so I, I think that, 
you know, as certain parts of the, the world sort of uh, grow into a deeper use of these tools and appropriate use of these tools, um, you'll see better decisions being taken. And there's a whole new realm of space where, uh, you know, consumers say one thing and do another. And so how can we get to behavior-based market research? There's plenty of room there for us to uh, get creative and sort of a new add a new uh, tool to our toolkit. Yeah, I know a lot of single ladies who would love to know why certain men say one thing and do another, <laughs> at least in the dating realm. Um, so you said the holistic approach is the best approach. Do you find that's what companies are actually doing? Are clients rethinking their approach or structure around how to solve challenges? Or are you just like pushing this forward and no one wants to budge? No, I think it, it, I mean, this is obviously company specific and different companies have different cultures, but I think there is a trend that I'm certainly seeing where it's been going on for a few years now. It's all about, you know, data-driven decision-making, right? And the world is awash with data, especially more of a more tactical nature. And I think, you know, the, the questions are still the same, like, like, like Mike outlined before, and, and, and we can split them between strategic and tactical and all the shades in between. But regardless of how you answer them, there's an onus to answer them with lots of good data and, you know, you know, using tactical data to solve not just tactical problems, but also strategic problems, because at the end of the day, it's proof and people want to make decisions and take actions that are based on as much proof as possible. Um, and so a lot of a lot of um, clients who are trying to really implement that data led decision making process, they're breaking down the silos between traditional strategic insights teams, which are very much blue sky, blue ocean um, thinking and, 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 and tasks and, and joining up with the analytics and data science and, and, and more quant people who might be in a totally separate silo before, but now it's like, no, how do we work together to identify, understand, and then solve a problem or, or achieve a goal? Yeah, and I would say, Lee and I were talking about this over beers last week. Uh, yeah, thanks for the invite. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, people are very aware of how rapidly there are new sources of information. There are whole new, you know, new businesses that have had nothing to do with market research that are now selling market research today because they're sitting on a stockpile of data. And, and they all they need to do is visualize it and, and make sure it makes sense, which is quite cool. Um, and, and it's a... It's fun to be progressive in this space right now. Uh, there is a link, though. There's something that I feel like people are are taking big leaps uh, towards right now that's a little scary, which is that they understand the basic means of collecting the information or they understand the basic idea. And then they just they're cool with the outcome, no matter what uh, what happens in between and the assumptions taken or the rigor of scrubbing or the definitions uh, set, uh, those things seem to mean less to the average uh, client or consumer today than they did before. So for example, uh, I'm gonna get a DNA swab of my mouth and then I'm gonna send that away and I'm gonna get uh, wines that make the most sense for me. Well, like I believe in DNA, I know that's real, um, and I like wine. Oh, um, I believe in wine. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> or, or beer, obviously we're, we're having fun. but. How did we make that leap between, you know, uh, a DNA sequence and and my interest in a, you know, robust Malbec? You know, it, it's a big leap, and I'd say that's happening all over the place. It's like I trust this big this big source of information, um, but I don't really understand how you got to the outcome. But I'll still take the outcome 
Uh, I think there's a lot of work to be done in deconstructing those ideas, and um, that is that is where the painful, uh, hard, uh, unglamorous work of a true market researcher is getting the calcs right and making sure that you're measuring the right thing. And over time, that's a trustworthy piece of data, one that came from a good spot, that we, you knew uh, how you constructed it, and the outcome is real. And that's how you make a good decision, using that piece of information. Totally. I'd go, it's all about, you know, the word that we used to kick around and still kick around is, you know, triangulation. You know, we come to a truth from not just one source, but multiple sources, right? And, you know, if the burden of proof for decision making is so much higher because it's all about data led decision making, you need to have, a, you know, you need to raise the bar, the burden of proof for the proof. And, 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 um, I think this is a challenge, but this is also what's so exciting about market research world because, you know, in general, and I think we specifically, we've got all these different toolkits, we've got all these different sources, we've got all these different methods and capabilities, you know, we can integrate them and, and, and weave them together to, to answer stuff and, and, and drive, I think, you know, powerful and pretty cool decisions. Yeah, Mike, when you were talking about DNA, the first thing that came to my mind was actually, you know, like a symptoms online and you can enter sore throat, stuffy nose, a headache, you might have a cold, but you might also have cancer according to a lot of websites and without a doctor to really break it down and sort of be that interpreter and distiller of information, you can end up with some wild sources. You're totally right. And I think that's that brings another piece to the puzzle, which is that expertise in this field matters more and more and expertise in a lot of new technologies is where we're pushing our people, right? Like you need to be smart on, um, you know, data scraping. You need to be smart on the latest behavioral uh, ideas or neuro- neuroscience ideas with regard to how people make decisions. We need to be pushing uh, our people to make sure that they understand these tools so they can make a better call and they don't think they have to go chop their leg off just because they stubbed their toe. Although maybe a lot of shoe manufacturers would be in favor. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I guess. Yes. Depends who the client is. Yeah. (laughs) You heard it here first. (laughs) So, I mean, I'm so fascinated by all of this and I feel like we could talk forever about how to collect data, how to distill data and interpret it. And maybe we'll have you both back for another discussion. Um, But I want to kind of end on a lighter note because the two of you see a lot of fun things in your day-to-day. And I want to know what is the weirdest thing you've ever researched. Mike already told us about contact lenses for dogs. We're going to put him on the spot and see if he has another fun story. I don't. (laughs) I'm really disappointed. Lee, you go first. Yeah. So, I mean, going back to, I think, your last point about, you know, scraping and 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 then, more importantly, organized how we scrape. So, we've been dipping a toe in this space. And, you know, in short, we know how to teach a machine how to correctly organize lots of different products we capture from lots of different websites. And I think some of the funnest things have been to, you know, organize or, in some cases, totally exclude from a coverage. So I've seen so many photos and descriptions for sex toys the last six months. <laughs> I don't even know. Yeah. It keeps me up at night. So it's not quite a research question, but it has certainly been a part of my job 
uh, recently, and it's uh, it's educational. It keeps things interesting. It does, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. I love what we do because we don't get to uh, pick the subject that we learn about, but we always get to be learning. Uh, two that come to mind: we're doing so much work in the cannabis space right now. Yeah, uh, you know how much uh, you know cannabis can be integrated into so many different products and where the regulatory environment exists. Um, pretty tight in the U.S. Uh, at the federal level, obviously uh, loosening uh, state to state, but a lot of opportunity in other countries to dive there. Uh, so a lot of weed to uh, talk uh, around the office these days. And one that I might have mentioned before, I don't remember, is uh, uh, that we once uh, bid on a project to understand uh, the opportunity for cloning dogs and cats uh, in the U.S. market, and this business had a, a machine, essentially, that could clone animals for a pretty high price point, and they wanted to see if they were going to invest this much money uh, in improving the technology if people would uh, be willing to uh, pony up five grand to have Fido basically cloned uh, after they passed. So I was going to say, is this like a pet cemetery situation where yeah, they come back a little different? Yeah, kid in the mounds. It's basically the same <laughs> idea. Uh, but yeah I, was, yeah, I was sort of blown away. I was like, are we going to ask people if they're cool with their new pet but without its old soul? It, just got, <laughs> it, got, really, it got really complicated from a focus group conversation. But uh, Yeah, I think Stephen alas, King has some opinions on that. Yeah. Alas, that was one that didn't get selected. So next time. All right. Well, never a dull moment. Mike and Lee, thank you so much for joining us. I've certainly learned a lot. And Lee, earlier, you were spitting off a bunch of, you know, topics and and, and categories, but you said breakfast, lipstick, and beer. And I feel like you summed up my life pretty well in a snappy tagline. So thank you for that. I do my best. Thank you, Sarah. Thanks, Lee. Yeah, thank you both. And thank you for tuning in to this episode of Behind the Data. We hope you're as curious as we are and will continue to listen as we dissect data, research, and everything in between. 